0: This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. And today my guest is Alex Alexander. She's a performer and writer. She has a show coming up in Los Angeles called Perception Versus Reality 101. I got to see it a few months back and I really enjoyed it. It gave me a lot to think about. And I was happy to see it was coming back August 12th at the Young Actors Workshop in LA. But before we get to the interview, I want to remind you, That this podcast is brought to you by Prell Shampoo. No, it's not. I don't have a sponsor. It's just me. I just do it because I love it. Uh, But if you love it and want to support it, uh, there are two ways you can do that. You can go to DennisAnyone.net and there is a virtual tip jar there. You can kick in a little money, help me cover my expenses. I always appreciate that. Or you can consider becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows under the DNR banner. And for a monthly subscription rate, you get my show early and you get all these other terrific shows. And you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. And that's enough for the plugs. Here now is the interview with Alex Alexander. Joining me now via Zoom from Los Angeles, it's Alex Alexander, writer and performer.
1: Welcome, Alex. Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Well, I'm delighted to have you because I saw your show a few months back called Perception Versus Reality 101, and I thought it was hilarious and delightful and full of interesting ideas. So you're bringing it back on August 12th, and we're here to talk about it. So I'm glad you're bringing it back.
1: Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. Originally, I was going to do just six shows, and um, a friend of mine saw it, and she's, you know, she's an Emmy award-winning actress and she wanted to be a part of it. And so I happened to make just enough money from the run of the show to do an encore. So I was excited to be able to do it so she could come back and be the professor.
0: I love it. It's like the Taylor Swift eras tour. People just have to have more shows. It's.
1: I know, right. You have to to adjust. You
0: have to adjust. You have to make it happen. Um, How would you describe the show to someone who knew nothing about it?
1: I would say that it um, the show causes you. I use several examples of the way that you can change your reality by changing your perspective or your perception of it. Right, and um, so I use my youth and my college years, and then my uh, split with my husband to as to illustrate um, how perception affects reality. So is it or is there is reality even a thing?
0: You make people think about their own lives because you do this thing where you, you say, I have all of these thoughts about what I was like in high school, that I was fat, that I wasn't popular, that I didn't run for student body. You have all these things in your head, this story you've been telling yourself. Right. And then you go back and look at the evidence and what people wrote in your yearbook and things that you, yes. groups and clubs you were in. And you were like, all yeah. of that stuff is wrong. How, right. when did you first hit on that idea that I've been telling myself a story that isn't true?
1: I, um, it wasn't too long ago, actually, but I had written an essay for, and the, and the prompt for that essay show was masks.
0: Interesting. And
1: I sort of wanted to talk about the different masks I've worn through my life. Right. Meaning the different personalities that I've put on. Um, and you know, like being a little, uh, punk rocker or a gothic or coming to California and being a, you know, a sweet Southern girl, which I never was. And, um, and in doing so I pulled out my yearbooks and that's when I started to, this idea started to germinate because yes, I had this very, like eight different things that I thought I was. Right.
0: And you use and them in the show. You bring it up like a slide. I do. Yeah. And, and you go through each I, one. I
1: list them and then we go through each one and we, and we buy through photos, through testimony that things people had written in my, my yearbook. We just one by one they get knocked off, and I realized that had I had a different perspective, uh, perception of myself then, I might have had a better experience. And also, that perception of who I was then, of influenced how I went through the world after that. And it would have been very good to have it be clearer or more accurate because all of those perceptions were incorrect. And I, you know, I've had several people say, uh, I'm going to go home and pull out my yearbook. And see what <laughs> Since I think. I yeah. There. What was the
0: most surprising thing you were wrong about when you looked at your yearbook?
1: Um, That's interesting because I was surprised by a great deal. I was surprised that I wasn't in the drama club. You thought you, you were in the drama me. club. <laughs> I like wasn't looking, in the drama you're club. You're looking for
0: yourself in the picture and you're like, I know I did plays. I feel like my whole brand I is drama. I'm, I'm drama girl. That's, that's my brand. That's
1: right. I'm an actress. That's what I do for a living where surely I was in the drama club. (laughs) I must have done Romeo and Juliet.
0: I had to have been in Arsenic of Old
1: Lace. You mean I wasn't in Arsenic of Old Lace? Yeah. (laughs) You weren't in any of that. Uh, You weren't. I didn't. I wasn't in the drama club. I was in the Spanish club. Okay. In fact, I was the uh, vice president of the Spanish club. Now, ask me if I can speak Spanish.
0: Can you speak Spanish?
1: Ask me if I can speak Spanish. I can can ask you where the library is.
0: Right. Um,
1: and I can order Biblioteca. in, in CCD.
0: I've been learning Spanish with a tutor and Duolingo um, and having a great time doing it. Although I don't think I'm uh, very good at it, but it's fun. Um, you use some photos from your yearbook that yes. are, wow. 80s, the 80s or was yeah. the 80s? Yes. The
1: 80s. And there were some, some uh, photos that I used that I just found because, you know, I used the one of my brother and sister and I in those matching tops. Yes. But yeah, it's, it, it was, you know, and watching the, um, that's another thing people I think will enjoy if they go back and look, it's like watching the evolution of your style, your hairstyle yeah. and your clothing. And, you know, it's funny, my parents didn't want me to get uh, contacts because I told you I had those horrible glasses that got dark in the sun, but they never really quite right. undarkened. Yeah. And it made me feel like I didn't see the world the same way other people saw the world. And my parents didn't want to give me contacts because back then they were much more expensive. And also they were just those hard, hard things. And um, so I just stopped wearing my glasses. So you would go around not being
0: able to see because you thought you looked better.
1: That's right. Wow. It's terrible. And my teachers, I just asked my teachers to all sit me in the front so I could see the board and things like that. It was, I was determined. I wish I don't know where that determination went later in life. But yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm determined not to wear glasses. What's it like? So yeah.
0: What's it like when you bring up a picture of yourself from high school and the audience like laughs or groans or like I'm sure there's the the, the, the pictures are amazing, and we all have them. But what does that feel like to be on the receiving?
1: I end of want that? I that thrills me because I I laugh and groan when I look at them. So I'm hoping what they don't feel. Is pity? Yeah. For me. yeah. I want them to relate to it. I want them to say that's hilarious. You, because when you look at me, I think now you think a very certain thing, and when you see who I was then, it's a whole, it's a whole other uh, journey to take into that, into your imagination. So when they laugh and groan, that's exactly what I was hoping for. That means I've chosen the correct photos. <laughs> uh,
0: there's this great conceit that the show is built around, which is that you're at a college campus to give this talk and there are rules and parameters that they told you you can't say and you keep breaking them and there's somebody to scold you i I just love that because we're just kind of waiting for that to happen and it all i know it also speaks to this moment in our culture where people are afraid to say things and what you can you say especially on campuses like i think it's just clever
1: Thank you. Yeah, originally I was the, it was just going to be a one-person show and I was going to be the professor teaching the class and I couldn't make it happen for myself in terms of performance because this is I'm telling Alex's actual true story. Right. So to do it in character didn't work for me. So uh what I did instead was um and it took a while. Like I did two notes that I worked this during the pandemic. Um, and then it took two note sessions with two different sets of people giving suggestions. And then after the second note session, I almost was ready. I just couldn't make it work. And then I came up with the idea of having, and here's what it was. I had a friend who said, you should act like you have a, something in your ear correcting you. And that's when I went, Oh, I'll be the guest speaker. And instead of having someone in my ear, I'll actually have someone there because that'll be a more interesting dynamic. Yeah. And also it's, I don't know, I, it's not that I don't enjoy one-person shows, or it's not that I didn't want to do a one-person show, but for me, it was a one-person show with with a guest, right? So, but it was, that was a much funnier dynamic.
0: Right, there's a tension going on, like, is she going to get thrown out of this college for saying this or that, or saying she owns a crack pipe, or whatever it is. Um, That's
1: right, that's right. Yeah,
0: it's very funny. Um, You changed your name after high school,
1: right? I did, yeah, I did, because, you know, um, I always tell people it would have been fine if people had called me Deborah. I don't think I would have minded that, but it wasn't Deborah. It was Debbie. Right. And I'm not a Debbie. And, uh, I mean, anyone knows
0: that anyone can look at you and say, that's not no, that's not a Debbie.
1: That's not a Debbie. (laughs) Debbie is not suitable. Maybe it was for me in high school. I don't know. But I will say that when I went to college, you know, and I became very sort of, uh, rebellious and I became, you know, I started shaving designs into my head and, listening to, you know, punk rock music and and, and pop, alternative pop music. And, and wearing vintage clothes and rides and, you know, piercing my ear multiple times. So it um, Debbie didn't work. Yeah. And so, uh, so then I left, I, I don't know if you were there the night I talked about this. I did have a nickname very briefly, uh, where people called me specs because I only dated boys who wore glasses because I thought they were smarter. And, really? That um, was your
0: rule. That was your thing.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, I just found myself really attracted to men who wore glasses because I thought they were more studious and, and smarter. Interesting. And so, but it didn't last long because people didn't know what that meant because only pretentious college students call glasses spectacles. Right. So, uh, that didn't last long. And then, um, so then my last name's Alexander. And then I started, people started tr- to try to call me by the last name. And then ended up shortening that. So that's sort of how that came about. And then when I moved out here, um, shortly after uh, the movie, Glenn Close movie where she kills the rabbit. Um, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Her name was Alex yeah. in that movie. And people were like, your name's what? So they would get all weirded out.
0: Really? So you and had, I had Alex really- Forrest was her name. And she was like, I will not be ignored, Dan. I will so not be ignored, that, that rubbed off on you. The the, it's the interesting. people's I had perceptions had long, of it.
1: I had long, curly, curly hair. My hair was red, whereas Glenn's was blonde. Yeah. But I had the long hair and the name, and uh people were like, ooh, just like they would have like weird reactions to it. But I was fine with that. I was like, if I'm fine if you're afraid of me. Yeah. I'm just not fine if you ignore me click. Click, that lamp on and off. I will not be ignored, Los Angeles. Uh, uh, Yes.
0: So you grew up in Tennessee, right? Uh, Christian family.
1: Yes. And then- Yeah. Well, I lived in Tennessee. but My father was in the Air Force. Right. But he, he and my mother were born and raised in Tennessee. So he retired to Tennessee. And so I lived in Tennessee for 10 years before I moved out here.
0: Yeah. What did your family think of you moving to LA, Sin City? Like, were they less like, oh- we're sending her into the wild.
1: Uh, well, they tried everything they could to keep me from leaving. They uh, reported my car stolen. I'd bought When I bought my car, wow. my parents... Yeah, my parents co-signed for the car. And so they reported the car stolen because they were asking me how I was going to get to Los Angeles. I told them I was going to drive. So they reported my car stolen. So then I called the local... It was a very small town, so I called and I said... Told them what had happened and told them I would return the car to my parents and then I'd just fly to Los Angeles. And, um uh, yeah, they were just, they tried everything to keep me from coming and also never visited. My mother stopped, uh, once an, on a layover for her work on the way to Las Vegas. She was here for 36 hours, but no one ever visited, they never came and visited me ever because th- they just thought it was, that's where heathens, and, and going into show business, I remember at my father's funeral, my mother said to me, you know, your father was proud of you, right? And I said, no. And she said, well, he was embarrassed by what you do, but he was proud of you. And I said, you know, mama, here's the thing. Those are mutually exclusive. Right. You cannot be embarrassed by what I do and also be proud of me at the same time. They just thought that people in show business uh were um, all... LGBTQ, which is sinful, and um, wild drinking, drug and, you know, loose folk. And so they were not for it.
0: They were not for it. But you started getting work and popping up and things. They never bought into the glamour and, like, we didn't used to like it, but now she's on TV, so it's okay. Like, that was never a no, shift.
1: you No, because, you know, right before I started working as an actor, I had worked at a magazine called Movie Line Magazine. Oh, my God. You work for Movie yeah. Line?
0: I was yeah. one of the writers. That was my first place that I ever wrote Get for. I wrote for here. them for years. So Ed you Margulies. Know, you know. Yes. Ed. Ed Margulies discovered me as a writer and started Get giving me work. Here. This is crazy. Movie Line yeah. was the beginning so of my writing career. And and Volok, you know, yeah. I used Anne to Wallace host and then- Things at their house. Uh, she used to host yes. these crazy parties at her house, and she used to have me host these like award shows that they would do.
1: And did you go to Ed's book launch and, and signing yes, and all that for Bad Movies oh. We Love?
0: And Ed Margolis yes. is the reason I became a writer. Like, get out of yeah, here! I didn't, what did you do at Movie Line? I
1: can't believe I was.
0: We must have met at one of those parties. They used to have the best parties. Probably,
1: probably. I had the long hair then. Um, I was the. Art director's assistant. Okay. So I worked on the art department, which was downstairs in this little dark room because yeah. he had to work on a computer. And so he did, he would do like covers and then he had to lay out the whole magazine. And then I had to collate it and, because back then you would literally print it out and clip it together and take it so they could look at it Yeah, hard cover. And, um, so yeah, so I just organized the shipping and the, you know, the, um, I dealt with the artists. Like I had to get the artwork and log it and scan it and, you know, and I had to make sure they got paid and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I was the, the artist's assistant. On Beverly Roby, Drive. On Beverly, Beverly drive, drive. I
0: used to go and Ed Margulies and I would go to Cape Manolini for lunch. I We went
1: to Cape Manolini all the time. Yeah, the bread
0: was amazing. And it's every time yeah. I drive by there, I'm like, Oh, that was such a time. That magazine was so significant. It's so close to my heart. As a reader as well, it was edgy and fun. What was it like for you and to work did, there?
1: They did really great things. Yes. Well, well, I loved working there, but they refused to give me a raise of any kind. Right. So I worked there for three years and then I left and then they brought me back as a as a consultant to show the new person how to run the department and, um, and paid me a, a crap ton of money. And I was like, why didn't you just give me the little tiny raise I was asking for? But... They wouldn't, and then it wouldn't bring me back. I, what I loved about it was, um, like I think the interviews were super different than other movie magazines. Also they did great things on the cover. For example, when they had, um, Oh gosh, I'm not going to remember her name. Blonde hair used to be married to Alec Baldwin. Kim Basinger. When they had Kim Basinger on the cover, she had a bandaid on her finger and she was laying face it on her belly, facing the camera like this. And you could see the bandaid on her finger. And, um, they were going to have, they were going to hire someone to, to dust it out. And, and the, they were like, no, we're going to leave the bandaid. And they were like, if you prick me, if you prick her, does she not bleed?" Yeah. They, so they did things like that. They had one of the, one of the first movie magazines with Madeline Stowe, like with no clothes on so that was like uh like a really great thing on the front of a movie magazine and they did a photo shoot with brad pitt who um at the time <clears throat> just for a very short period he had really bad skin yeah and uh they refused to retouch it and he was fine with it yeah and i was like i just love that they didn't care about Sometimes be, not being glamorous. Yeah, and one of my one of my favorite things about Movember is when they interviewed Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, to this day, I, I they said if you one of the questions was if you could take the Queen to lunch, where would you take her? And he said pink supplements. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I just and then he explained why, and I was like, I just love those kinds of questions. I love that it, they were. I just like, I thought movie line was really smart and also really funny. And so I love that you, I love that we had that. was my
0: home that. for 15 years. Like, I sold my first story to them in 1990. Ed took a chance on me and started giving me assignments. And what years were you there?
1: Oh, gosh. You know what? I have a magazine.
0: <gasps> I bet I have a story in it if you were there, if there was an overlap. Because I was in almost every issue. Um, it feels cool. like a lifetime ago. I still have all my old yeah. issues, too. Um,
1: I don't have them all. Okay, here's one with River Phoenix. Yep. Oh, that's bad.
0: So yeah. Um,
1: so, what year is that?
0: Probably 90, 91.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I wish I could remember the exact years, no but words. now I want to look at now I want to look at the TOC and see if your name's in here.
0: I wouldn't be on the masthead, but I would probably have a story in the hype section up front, or. Probably not a feature. Probably my first feature was later Dana Delaney, but um, I just kept. Oh, I think
1: I was still there. Yeah, I think I was still there. But look how this—it's such a beautiful magazine. And I know I'm—I'm—I'm. I'm, I'm, it's not right for me to say that since I worked in the art department. Yeah, but it
0: was—it uh, was the coolest. Like, and even talking about it now feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like it happened on another planet. It's the absolutely thing, and it was. It was core to my career, core to my life, to my identity. Like movie line, man. Oh, okay. We get
1: this. There's a, there's a feature about Stockard Channing in here, and I mentioned her in my show.
0: See, that's how we're bringing it back. Um, so, oh. you, so, you were talking about how your parents felt about you being in LA and working there, and that was oh, part well, of it when too. When I
1: worked here, when I worked at Movie Line, they were so proud of me. Really. Right? And they got, they got a subscription to the magazine and they, uh, had it on the copy table and they would hold out the, uh, you know, the credits and, sh- and show my name to their friends. And so that they were very proud of. But, you know, I wasn't making really enough money to, to barely get by. Yeah. You know, then I started working. I did some good stuff, impressive stuff, sort of right out of the gate, like, um, pilots and things that didn't go anywhere but uh yeah they didn't they were they were very sad when i left movie line so it was more about uh so that's how that came up. i wow. they they would much they would much rather have me stayed at movie line gotten a check every week gotten paid vacation right. sick days all that
0: what was your first impression of la did you love it when you got here you were like yes well, this I is where had, i need to be
1: yeah i had been out here My friend, Kevin, who was the uh, art director on Moonlight, he moved out before me. And so I came out twice to visit him and I felt right at home. And I, I just think LA is a a lot of times people, or the way I saw it was sort of the land of misfit, island of misfit toys. You know, it's like people who don't fit in elsewhere because they're artistic or they're creative or whatever, they, they gravitate to the cities. Right. And, and so I could have, I was in Tennessee, so I could have gone to Chicago or New York. They, they were much closer. First of all, I didn't want to be that close to my family. And secondly, I wanted the weather. Yeah. Cause I had never lived, I had always lived in seasons. And so for me, I did not see the appeal. And so what, so when I came out to visit, plus I didn't look weird. Like, you know, I, you saw the pictures of big, huge black hair with, designs in it and I, I made all these wacky clothes and things and um, I didn't stand out. And I, that was nice for me right, to not stand out or to, to feel like I stood out similarly. So I, yeah, I took to LA right away. And it's only now that I'm like, you know, that I'm getting older. I'm like, maybe I need something a little quieter, but I mean, I've never lived and I've never lived in the Valley, which I'm looking at doing now. I'm like, well, before I move out of L.A., let me move to the valley first where people my age live. You know what I mean? Right. As opposed to living this side of the hill with all the clubs and all that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I took to L.A. right away.
0: That's cool. Uh, you also talk in your show about the change that happened in your marriage, that your right. husband came out first as gay and then later transitioned, and that you Correct. are now best friends. Um, that is yeah. that is quite a journey. How did it feel to share that in in the show?
1: Well, you know, he... Sorry. I say he when I'm referring to Matt, and I say she when I'm referring to Maddie. Yeah. So Matt came out 10 years ago and as gay, and then um, two or three years later started living her truth. Right. And um, so it was kind of a journey. It felt like... you know, it, it it felt like she had a lot to learn before she could, you know, be honest with me about it. And so I knew I wanted to talk about it even then, but I wanted to wait until it was funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it takes a while, right?
1: <laughs> it takes, you know, what is it, time, distance? Um. So, so yeah, at the time, it was scary. Um, it wasn't as heartbreaking as I thought it would be because I knew she still loved me and I still loved her maybe not romantically but I knew that we still felt like family and I had a feeling we would um do that to the best of our ability it took you know it took work um so it, it wasn't as heartbreaking as I thought it would be because I wasn't being abandoned right she wasn't leaving my life um but it was scary we'd made a lot of plans you know yeah
0: you thought your future was going to be this way and you were going to you know grow old together and retire and the whole thing and suddenly you're back out there you talk in the show about going to support groups that's something that i i remember vividly from your show for people that have been in similar situations can you talk a little bit about that dynamic and what sort of you observed from those groups
1: I wish now, and listen, I may start going back to those support groups now just so I can help other people. At the time when I was going to those support groups, I was really looking, I was looking for some guidance and I was looking for some inspiration. But what I what I found mostly was just people in a lot of pain. And um, mostly women, although what happened later, uh, like a few months later, where a couple of men showed up and their their wives had come out as trans and were now living as men and they had children. So it was really, really hard for them. And they, they were heartbroken and I didn't find anyone who, well, I did, there was one woman, um, but I hadn't found anyone who kind of gotten, who'd broken through yet. Right. And so broken through the pain was on the other side of it. Um, and so that was not particularly helpful for me. So I, 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 stopped going after a couple of months but now I feel like I could go back and, and make it, um, help be a help to other people because it's, it was fascinating. Those, those mostly women had many years removed from their dissolution of their relationships. And I was, you know, three months removed. So, um, so, it caused me to panic a little bit. I was like, please tell me I'm not going to be three, five, seven years from now and still feeling this kind of flailing and not right. knowing how to behave. So um, I, I don't want to discount their pain. I want to, to validate it, in fact. I understand. Because honestly, if you haven't been through that, I'll tell you, for me it felt like a death. Right, right, of course. And I remember that Maddie used to say to me, I don't understand why it was so easy for you to accept gay Matt and it's so difficult for you to adjust to Maddie. And I said, well, because I have to mourn the death of Matt for a little while, because Matt was a whole different, very different person than Maddie. And, uh, I, so I very much was like, uh, let me, let, let me, you know work through my sorrow about that. I, again, I didn't feel abandoned or heartbroken so much as like it really did feel like somebody had passed away. And so um and she helped me through that, you know. She stopped getting mad at me if I accidentally dead named her or misgendered her. She she understood. I was like, please judge my intent and not my action because obviously I'm trying really really hard to yeah. do to do the right thing. And so she got very kind about it and very compassionate towards me about it. And that's how, you know, being kind to each other and being compassionate was how we got through it. And I, I can't recommend it enough to anybody who's going through any kind of split. You know, I watch people who get angry, particularly in divorces and how they want to harm each other. And I'm like, oh gosh, that's just going to make it worse. Sometimes I wonder if they're doing that just to hold on to, if I make it, If I make it horrible, we'll still have to talk to each other. We're still connected. There's still a connection. Yeah. Yeah. How did
0: your sense of humor help you?
1: Well, you know, my sense of humor is very sarcastic and also teasing. And so making fun of myself and making fun of her and making fun of people who, the reactions people have really made it feel like, we were watching, you know, a bad comedy movie and um, helped us sort of like laugh through any kind of pain or discomfort. Because, you know, we're trying to work, work out, we have investments together and, yeah. you know, accounts together. And we're trying to work that all out. And the only way, was like the minute I started to feel sad or or angry or lost or whatever, uh, I'd make the joke. And either I would make fun of myself and liken myself unto some, you know, first wives club character, or I would, or I would just make fun of her. And, you know, I don't know. We always made, teased each other. And, um, again, I highly recommend laughter for most things that are ailing you. Yeah. If you can't.
0: Um, You also wrote a book recently because you're back in the dating world. Uh, Right. It's called The Line at Which I Stopped Reading the Online Dating Profile. So it's sort of (laughs) your war stories from being back in the dating pool. And you mentioned uh, in your show and also in the book, L.A. might be its own kind of thing about this. Do you think it's different dating in L.A. than other places? Or do you have anything to compare it to?
1: Well, I will say that um, one thing I say in the book is I had a conversation with my friend Jonathan, and uh, although I didn't mention his name in the book, I'm mentioning it here, uh, where he was like, yeah, sorry, guys want straight men, want hot girls. And he was like, you're cute and funny and everything, and I, but you're not hot. And I was like, so they'd rather have like an idiot girl who isn't any fun? And he was like, yeah. And I said, well, you know what? Outside of Los Angeles, outside of the greater Los Angeles area, I'm considered adorable for my age. And he was like, Okay, move there. <laughs> and I was like, He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Fair point. Um, so, yeah, I think dating at my age is easier elsewhere because um, there's so many young, beautiful, talented, funny, charming women and men, but women who come to this town, that why why have some of that when you can have all of that? Um, of course, you know, I also say something to the effect of that the uh, level of confidence in cis-straight white men in this town that is unwarranted.
0: Right. That was one of your big takeaways.
1: It's shocking. I'm envious of it. Right. I'm envious of it. But they all, at least all the ones I met and or talked to, believe they are deserving of everything they dream of. And y- no matter how they, old they are, or fat they are, or bald or. You know what I mean? It, no matter not, what they have of to
0: offer, they all think they can get the prize. And you thought a lot of them wanted the Zoe De Deschanel new girl, Pixie Dream Girl. That was a, a type yes. that they seemed to be into.
1: Yeah, they want the adorable Zoe Deschanel plus the smarts of Janine Garofalo, the smarts and funny of Janine Garofalo. And, and or she can look like, you know, some version of Charlize- the some, uh, you know, some of the beautiful version, not monster version of Charlotte's Theron. And, um, and so, but I, let me just say this too. I was very careful about the photos I posted. Yeah. Because I just wanted to look like me. And so I put one photo up where I'm at a Christmas party and there's a table full of booze behind me and I'm shooting a bird to the camera. Yeah. And someone commented on that photo, dude. And he said, uh, why would you put this picture of uh, of yourself? It's so off putting and uh, negates almost everything else you've. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Negates yeah. like you you've you've stripped yourself of any charm. And I said, well, why would if I take that photo down, then I might just be inviting more people like you into my life who feel like they can dictate what pictures I put up. You know what I mean? And he didn't write back, but I was like, if you've read my profile, you should know better than try to come at me because I'm going to be smarter and funnier than you are. And, uh, and so I do put some, I put some of that in the book about, um, about the guy. I don't know if I put this one in there or not. The guy saying, uh, he was giving me advice too, about what I needed to do on my profile. And I was like, yeah, no thanks. And then he, he was like, well, you're a bitch. He started running. You're just a bitch. And I was like, and you're a word sniff. You know, I just was like, (laughs) you're a charmer. And so I just, I was like, I don't know. I feel like, sometimes I feel like I'm having more fun um, with the crazies than I would, you know, on a date. I don't know. Because the dates I went on, and I did go on a bunch of them, were not particularly fun. It it kind of felt like a job interview. Yeah. It felt like I was interviewing them, and they were interviewing me, and... It felt odd. Where
0: are you at now with that? Are you seeing anybody? Are you you still dating? Are you taking a break? What's going on?
1: I still communicate with fellas on the on the apps. Yeah. But I, most of the time, the guys I really enjoy are like 35 and you know, I'm older than that. And so I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go that young. I I need somebody in their forties at least. Yeah. And, um, but the guys who get the jokes and get the humor and think I'm funny and want to hang out are just too young. So I haven't dated in some time for, you know, there was a pandemic there for a while. Yeah. Um, I was, I was dating before that. And then I was like, Oh, here's a great reason for me to take a break. Yeah. Step back, see how important it is. I also say this, I always, th- th- there's a line in Pulp Fiction, right? Where, um, John Travolta is talking to Samuel Jackson about you know, having breakfast, and Sam Jackson is saying, "I don't eat pork. I don't eat swine because they're a filthy animal." And uh, he was, and, and so they have this discussion about, "Well, so you, by that logic, you, you know, do you eat dog? Do you?" He was like, he was like, "Well, a dog's not a filthy animal. You don't eat dog." And so he says, he says, "In order for me to eat a pig, that I have to be, one charming, he was like, that'd have to be one ch- charming motherfucking pig, right? Yeah. That'd have to be Arnold on Green Acres yeah. kind of charming. And so that's what I think when I think about guys. I enjoy hanging out with my friends so much, and I look forward to it so much, and it's such a joy and such, I, I always say, for me to not spend time with my friends and to go out on a date, is going to have to be one charming motherfucking pig, because yeah.
0: <laughs> right,
1: he's going to have to at least be as delightful as they are, yeah. you know? Because I don't have this need I don't need to be validated by someone being attracted to me. Yeah. I, I I what I'm looking for is somebody I enjoy yeah. being with and look forward to seeing. So that's sort of my outlook on dating.
0: I think it's the kind of thing that if you don't have at least a kind of upbeat, open attitude about it, then you shouldn't be doing it. Because, you know, you know, it, like that sort of masochistic, I'm going to go on another bad date, like, then take a break. Like, if you can't go into it with a little bit of optimism, I think it's a self-defeating uh, exercise. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Um,
1: and if you look, if you go into it with two, your expectations way too high as well, you're just going to be, at least for women my age. I would say, if you go in with your expe- expectations too high, you're going to get wildly disappointed. I mean, I had one friend, this was before the pandemic, um, who was saying, here's this guy I'm talking to. And she was showing me pictures. And I went, you realize those pictures are not all of the same guy. <laughs> and she had no, I she didn't even know what catfishing was. Yeah. So I was like, that is not who you're talking to. He's sending you pictures of people who aren't even yeah. the same. And she was part, she was angry yeah but at least she went into the rest of her dating life having some having some perspective having just being like let me be a little suspicious let's do a facetime before we do anything that kind of thing yeah so it's like you have to you have to go into it open and you also have to go into it saying let me just i'm not gonna have an idea of exactly what it needs to be let me just see what happens
0: yeah you know those scenes in movies where the protagonist goes on a bunch of dates and they just cut to the different weirdos? Yes. I always relate to the weirdos. I'm like, I bet I'm one of those people. (laughs) I bet I'm one of the guys that the protagonist is like, "Mm, I don't know. Like, I don't like those montages because I think they're ungenerous or something. Because the weirdos are always sincere, right? And sometimes they're jerks. Sometimes they're like, look at my Porsche. But like, I don't, those scenes don't play on me the way I think they're meant to play on people.
1: I. I hear you. I get, I get your point. I've been to speed dating. So that works like one of those
0: (laughs) montages montages of
1: speed dating. And, uh, every time I think, I bet there's more to that dude than that horrible face he showed. You know what I (laughs) mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You picked a few questions from my observation deck. Let's talk about them. What's the most trouble you ever got in school?
1: So, uh, when I was in high school, I, uh, there, believe it or not there were some cuts in the budget and uh, they were gonna fire they had, to, they had to let someone go and so there were two teachers that gotten hired at the same time and one was a one was a kindergarten teacher and one was a high school teacher and she she t- taught social studies and she um, coached the cheerleading team and right. um, taught dance and whatever and so they were gonna fire the high school teacher and I didn't have her for anything, but I just thought that was wrong. So I, uh, I organized a walkout, um, to protest this. And even though I, I did have a teacher saying, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but schools get paid when she when kids don't, aren't in school, they don't get paid. So if kids were to like not show up, it would be, but I'm not telling you what to do. So I organized a walkout and word got back to the principal and he called the three of us in and were making all kinds of threats to us. And so he was going to expel me from school for organizing this walkout. And, um, I have a weird sense of fight in me yeah. that like when I get threatened, I don't, I don't respond well to it. So, um, he called us in that there were three girls, two of them were sobbing, just, they were so worried and so scared and they were terrified. And I was not. Right. Because I knew that I hadn't done, we hadn't walked out. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Organize, organizing a walkout is not yeah. an offense that you can expel someone for. I was a high honor student. So I was like, how are you going to explain that to anybody? And um, so he was threatening her and he was threatening the, the other girl. And then I, I literally was like, when's it going to be my turn?
0: Wow. You sassed back.
1: And he said, you watch your mouth, Miss Alexander. And I said, I would suggest the same to you, Mr. Porter. He was the principal. And I said, you brought three young girls in here who are going to walk out in a minute. Two of them are snobbing. I'd be careful if I were you. And he got so angry. But This, this is thing, amazing. Were, yeah, it reminded me of my dad. He reminded me a lot of my dad. So I think that's why I was like ready for it. But I told him, I, I said all the things I just said. And I said, and something you should probably know, is that Lamar Alexander is the governor of the state and he's my father's second cousin. And so, um,
0: you threw the, you played the Lamar Alexander card, oldest trick in the book.
1: (laughs) Even though Lamar Alexander is not someone I'm proud to be related to. That being said, it worked at the time. And I kept saying, my parents are on my side and there are other schools in this County. And then I, I, and I said, they'd be happy to have a high honor student, et cetera. But when I walked out I knew that I had not told my parents any of this <laughs> and they were not on my side. And so I walked into the girl's bathroom and had a breakdown oh. I, in a moment. And the moment I was like super bravado but right. then I went to the bathroom and, and lost it and just cried because I knew I was going to get in so much trouble, but I didn't, I didn't get in trouble. You didn't get in trouble he, and you
0: were standing up for what you thought was right. Like, but the, that's right. The walkout she, never happened. No
1: walkout never happens. Um, we didn't even get set home wow. that day. And then I went to the school board meeting and I spoke in the school board meeting and they got put in the paper and all this sort of thing. Cause I, I'm a high student, a high honor student. I didn't never went to kindergarten. Yeah. So I'm like, I get that you want a babysit free babysitter. I didn't say that, but I, I said, you know, none of my siblings went to kindergarten and they all graduated with honors. So you know, I, this, 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 and this, and, and, um, and they fired, they let the kindergarten, Um, teacher go. And they were furious at me. They were so nasty to me when I'm walking out of the school board meeting. One woman walked up to my dad and she said, you need to talk to your daughter. And my dad went, she's fine.
0: (laughs) I love when you do do the voices. I love when you do the (laughs) voices. I want to see you do like a one person show that's just like, maybe they're putting on on our town and the local community theater and you play all the parts. I mean, you know, something like that. Um, but you said earlier on. I wanted to pick up on this. You said that when you came to LA, did you play the Southern card, like as I did, as an, like something as an, an
1: advantage in a way? How did how does that worked, look? Is it the accent? I worked. I worked at a restaurant called Melon Rose's Coffee Shop on Melrose Avenue. That was right next. It was two. It was. Next door to that was the Betsy Johnson shop. Yes. And next door to that was the Groundlings. Yes. And so lots of the Groundlings used to right. come not in.
0: not far from Koala and Blue by Olivia Newton-John's store. Were you here for that?
1: That's exactly right. That was the other way. <sighs> it's down the street the yes. other way. We were next to Off the Wall, which used yeah. to have lots of um, antiques. Melrose Avenue and was
0: the place to hang out.
1: It absolutely was the, it was the shit. Yeah. And um, so... When it was when it was locals coming in, yeah, I uh, it would depend. When it was tourists, I was L.A. Yeah. When it was locals that had money, I was southern. I would talk about going back. I'm going back east for the holidays. They were like, "Oh, where are you from?" I'm like, "East Tennessee," and they would just laugh and think I was adorable and give me money. So you would so, use yeah, it to put,
0: get better tips.
1: Yeah. Wow. I did. Good.
0: Well done. Well played. Well played. Okay. Here's another question you picked from the observation deck. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it?
1: Now, I don't know if everyone would have been way too young when I saw it, but I saw The Exorcist at my, when I was visiting my aunt in Florida and she had HBO long before anybody had HBO Right. and The Exorcist was on. And I had never seen it because my parents would not allow it. Of course it not. Either. And uh, I, to to this day, I think it's one of the top 10 scariest movies of all time, but I was, and I was not, I think I was in junior high school. Wow. So, so I wasn't super young, but I was terrified, terrified. And I know people who see it as adults who think, uh, who get scared. Yeah. But, when you grow up in a Christian right wing conservative household and then you see somebody get possessed by the devil, holy crap, holy. And I remember my cousins, one of which was younger, one of which was older, um, were nonplussed. It was just, they did not, were not upset at all. They were like, where's the popcorn? Yeah. And uh, I was just, I made them turn the lights on. <laughs> it was like, Terrifying. Yeah.
0: It haunted you. Terrified. I just saw a trailer yes. for a new exorcist with uh, the actress. Is it Ellen Burstyn? Is it? Sh- yes. She's in it. She shows
1: up. Get out of no, here. No, she's
0: there. And there's girls that are very Reagan-y. There's two girls. Anywhere is a new exorcist coming our way. Um, I'm into yeah. it. I'm into it. Here's another question you uh, picked. What's the worst costume or uniform you've ever had to wear for work? I'm going to try
1: to make this a short story. I used to be a cater waiter. Yep. And um, I... A cater waiter's uniform is white shirt, black pants, black tie. Sometimes you wear a blazer, yeah, and black shoes. And so I got hired for this. I well, I got this offer of this job. Um, they were like, "Well, it's kind of far away, um, and, but you don't have to bring your you don't have to bring your uniform. They're going to provide a uniform, and it pays an extra nine dollars an hour. And I was, I'm sorry, another an extra dollar an hour. Okay, so I was so so I was going to make nine dollars. And um so I said, great, and I went to this house It was in the middle of nowhere. It felt like I was driving down that street, the beginning of the shining, or yeah. driving down that long thing. I finally find a little um stand and there's a, a gravel parkway, and they take me up on a golf cart to this enormous house. Cause these places are always it's always someone with a lot of money catering these things. So the theme was Arabian Nights
0: to this party. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, boy. And there were live animals everywhere. Yeah. So there were live monkeys in the foyer, and there were snakes and uh, turtles. And um, I was like, okay, so they take me into this big room. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm, I've always been chunky. So I wasn't as chunky then. But um, the costume looked like I Dream of Jeannie. Wow. And it so it was the billowy pants, the shoes with the toe that curled up, a wig with a big ponytail, and uh, like a, a, it was two piece. So you're showing your belly, which, you know, Chucky girls don't generally do. And then you had to wear a a sequin, a sheer mat. It was sheer color, like a pink mask with sequins around it. And it's very, if you're carrying a tray and walking through, a think it's, very, it, you know, now from everybody knows now having from had to wear masks during the pandemic, it's sometimes hard to have visual.
0: Right. You can't see.
1: But, and you're wearing these shoes that are just so pain. Like after a while, they there's no padding or anything. And so it was just a lot of, I dream of genies and, 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 you know, Laddens walking around with trays of like baklava or whatever. And, um, in the meantime, they had built these streams, through the house these fake streams and they had little bridges you had to walk over to get over the streams in these shoes and these billowy pants and also you're not supposed to drop anything on on you no which you as a cater waiter that's why you wear black you constant and you usually have an apron too yeah so yeah so i um they, they since i was having so much trouble with the shoes they put me at the front door where I would, there was a, like a specialty bar there with a specialty drink, and then I would hand out, I think it was spring rolls or something that had nothing to do with the theme. And I watched in my black I dream Genie ponytail as people, the, the, either rich or famous, they weren't famous to me, so I didn't know. They would be have to get out of their cars like 100 feet away and climb up on either an elephant <laughs> or a camel, to go the ex the last hundred yards or feet or whatever. Um, and then you were watching these women in these tiny little uh, sequin dresses try to climb off that uh, uh, elephant. A real um, elephant. They
0: had real elephants.
1: Elephant. <laughs> a real elephant. <laughs> a real elephant. This feels like a party camel. down.
0: If you pitched this to party down that show with the cater waiters, they would say it's too crazy.
1: They wouldn't believe it. They would say that's not true. That didn't happen. It 100% happened. And so I had to serve uh, drinks and walk trays around dressed as I dream of Jeannie and Genie shoes and, uh, you know, a belly pants. And, yeah. And showing lots of cleavage. And I was like, okay, I did it. But the window into super
0: rich. I've had experiences like that where I worked at a party where I was hosting a game night thing and they were really well off. And it was weird. It did not make it look fun. I didn't look at that and go, I want to be that. It was weird. What did you observe about that dynamic?
1: I I, I wrote an essay about this and I said, I guess he wanted to throw this party instead of just asking us to stand around a toilet while he flushed money down (laughs) the drain. Because... That would have been easier on the
0: feet just to stand by the toilet.
1: No kidding. Wow. And then, you know, it was... they had people in those balls in the pool. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Lit, like r- running through the pool in, in a, ball. Bu- it, it was so, it was literally like what's every expensive idea I can come up with and let's do, it. I mean, he's just lucky that none of those, you know, none of those exotic birds shat on anybody. Yeah. Anybody's very expensive designer clothing. During this thing. Yeah. And it was it was enormous. Like the 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 just the entryway was three stories. Wow. It had what the front of the house had one big, tall, three-story window. All right, my cat's losing her shit. I know. But yeah, looking into the and I I guess if you've lived with money your whole life and you just always think it's gonna come, yeah, you're more likely to to spend that kind of money. But for me. I'm like, there's so much, so many other things I would do with that money. Yes. You know? Crazy. I would, yeah, I mean, the list could go on, but what I wouldn't do. And that room where the costumes were, because I was like, they're not going to have a costume my size. If they, want, if they want us to all look like a dream of genie, they're going to want skinny girls, right? Oh, they had, it was a completely empty room. So it was three walls and it was like um, three of the, the clothing racks yeah. deep of costumes because they were going to make sure there's and they did. And she just looked right at me and said, this will fit you. Wow. And I did. I you went to a
0: changing room. $9 an hour is $9 an hour, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: let's remind people how they can see your show. It's called Perception versus Reality 101. It's showing August 12th in Los Angeles at the Young Actors Workshop, which is 5571 Pico Boulevard. And how can people get tickets? They're emailing you, right?
1: emailing me is the best. I I tried to go through a third party for pre-sales and it didn't go well. So I'm doing cash check Venmo. Um, and you can email me for reservations at alexalexander.pez at gmail.com. Pez like the candy, P-E-Z.
0: I love it. All right. Yeah. And people should go see it. It gives you a lot to think about and it's very funny and you're just, you just have a way about you that's very funny and moving and interesting to listen to and great sense of humor. Um, I have two questions left for you. Mm-hmm. What's a vivid memory you have of a movie line party? Do you remember any of the parties?
1: Uh, I the, my favorite movie line party was at El Rey on Wilshire. Yep, and I it was um, for it was around the time the movie Swingers was coming out. But yep. it was with the what But it was for the Kim Basinger cover. But they had hired uh, swing dancers and a swing band. So there swing swing band, and John Favreau was there. And he was nobody. Right. And he was a swing dancer and he was fantastic. And he was thin and handsome and he was this fantastic swing dancer. And I remember, uh, that he had it. If you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, I was like, I went after that party and joined a class to learn how to do swing dancing. because I was obsessed with it. And then when it came out, I was like, I know that I met that guy at the movie line party. And it was, uh, I loved it because it was um, just, they were very generous with food and drink and and Kim Basinger came briefly. You know, she's got a lot of uh, social anxiety, but she came briefly and it was, what was yours?
0: Well, I have two memories. Um, It was such a wonderful time for me, man. Um, There was one when Sharon Stone was on the cover for Basic Instinct and she wasn't huge yet. So it was a bit of a like, that's right. It was kind of a leap for Movie Line to put her on the cover, but she had an ice pick behind her back and it was a party at Ann Volek's house in Beverly Hills. And I remember Sharon kind of walking around in like a men's suit. And um, and, it, and it was like this feeling of, oh, she, something's going to happen with this actor. Um, the other, the first one I ever remember going I to- I
1: worked on that. Oh, you worked on I that worked cover. I worked on that night. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, the first one I remember going to was, I sold my first story to them in 1990. I wrote- a first person essay about my audition for a Madonna and I sent it to all these different magazines and Edward Margulies liked my letter enough to want to see the story. And he liked my writing and, and started giving me gigs. He he once said to me that he knew I was a writer before I did, which is uh, so moving. He really, he really, um, gave me my chance and set my course. Um, so there was a, I I know. And we used to go to swingers and, or, uh, islands and get french fries and look at the surfing videos and gossip about hollywood and it was the best there was a party early on maybe that first like that first blush when i first started writing for them it was somewhere in beverly hills but cheryl lee from twin peaks who played laura palmer was there and in the in twin peaks the show she didn't have that big of a part at that time so she kind of was you know so um but i ended up talking to her and we danced together to the groove is in the heart and I, ah! I, I still remember that song, and I remember dancing with Cheryl Lee, and I was maybe in my mid twenties. I had sold an article to this magazine. They were starting to give me little assignments, and I just felt like I was on my way. Like this was, and I remember taking a couple of my friends, and we were dancing, and ah, uh, it was just like, you know, the the, the, yeah, the Hollywood you know, dreams were coming true. You know? That's
1: right. Yeah. And when you're in your twenties, and you see your whole that you have your whole life ahead of you, and anything can happen, and you're like. This is a this is a turning point, and I I love that. I did I never went to a party at Anne's house. Yeah, but I went to a lot of the
0: other parties. Oh, they used to have the best the nineties. Um, another thing I thought about when I was listening to um, a podcast a couple days ago that I listened to around the science of happiness, and it, it resonates with the story that you told me, especially about the changes in your in your marriage and and that journey, was that this idea that I think they called it hedonic adaptation, which is this idea that The good things that happen, we get used to them pretty quick and they're not as great anymore. And the bad things that happen aren't as bad anymore. Like, humans are more resilient and more adaptable than maybe we think before something happens. Like, we think, if I win the lottery, I'd be happy forever. No, you'd be happy for like a month. And then you're going to go right back to whatever that level is. Or if something really bad happens, if your marriage ends and you have to reinvent, you know, you, you, you adapt. Humans are more resilient. Um... So I guess my question is what have you learned about yourself from your journey?
1: You know, I've learned some good and some bad stuff, right? So, uh I'm very a very strong boundary setter. Yeah. And it's it's only gotten I've only gotten stronger with my boundaries since you know, when you live with someone right. for 17 years, um your boundaries aren't you you're, there's a lot more give and take and a lot more compromise. And I am for that. I'm not saying don't do that, but for for people who are not my lover, uh, my boundaries are very, very strong. And that is both good for me and also not so good for me because people tend to think I'm a hard ass. And I always think of it as, for example, if I, we were just on a, uh, I just, I went to, on a little cruise to Ensenada, my first cruise ever, which I loved. And, um, we went into a restaurant, and I could see... I worked in restaurants for 13 years, so I could see there was one waiter and a lot of people. And I was like, this is not going to work for me because I'm going to start getting mad soon. And they were like... And and one of the girls was like, it's, it's going to be this way everywhere. And I went, I think I, think I can find a place that has more than one waiter. And so she got very upset with me, and I was like, I'm not telling you... I'm telling you I'm leaving. You can stay here. That's about... And, and so for me, I was confused about why, why that, I mean, I don't know that she was upset. She, she might not, have been, but, uh, but I was like, why my boundaries are, you don't, I'm not going to require you to do it with me or come along with me, but I'm not going to do this thing. That's going to make, cause I, listen, if I just stayed there I'd have made all of us miserable because <laughs> I would have been very vocal. Right. So, uh, so I was like, No, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go find somewhere that is, even if it's more expensive, I'm going to go find somewhere where there's actually people who can take care of me. So I, I highly recommend people setting boundaries because there's, I don't believe in blaming anybody else for your life experience. Not that other whole other whole other long conversation, but I believe in setting boundaries, but also there are people who don't take that well who don't take the no or the no thank you, or that I'm going to do something different very well and just be prepared for that. But, uh, what I've learned about myself is that part of, if you have this feeling like you're kind of out in the world on your own now, one of the, one of the things that's going to be helpful is to know where your, where your limits are. And I do, you know, so, and I, I, I say it's going to be better for you, but, Whenever you, there are going to be people, you might lose people because there are people who are used to you doing whatever you wanted them to do. But I, I'm going to say those people don't have your best interest in mind anyway. So it's okay. So yeah, boundaries and, and get to know yourself because you're the only person you can count on. Wow. Ever, ultimately. Yeah.
0: I think that's true. And I think we're, I think we're responsible for our own happiness, regardless of what life throws at us. And sometimes it throws Agreed. a lot of stuff. Um, but Yeah. Um, So fun to talk to you, Alex. Everyone should go see their show if you're in LA on August 12th. And the book is available on Amazon, the line at which I stopped reading the online dating profile. If you've had some dating adventures, I'm sure you will relate to a lot of what's in there. Um <laughs> this was super fun, Alex. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Dennis. I enjoyed it so much. Oh
0: good, me too. We have to have a whole other lunch and talk about movie line. Yes. I'll bring all my old issues. I have them all. Me too. I can never throw them away.
1: Bye, Alex. Okay. Thank you. Bye, Dennis. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Alex Alexander. Go see her show if you're in LA, Perception versus Reality 101 on August 12th. Also, her book, The Line at Which I Stopped Reading, The Online Dating Profile, is available on Amazon. All right, so this happened. All right, I have a friend named Howie Squora, who is a playwright. I've had him on the podcast a couple of times. And he's got a new show that he's gonna be um, premiering uh, in Los Angeles coming up in the fall, maybe even as early as August or September. And he was trying to cast this one important role. And so he reached out to me and he said, you know, do you know any actors? And I was going through my old podcast episodes thinking of people that might be good. And I threw out a few names to him. And I think one of them is actually, uh, might actually do it. We don't know for sure yet. And I'll, I'll talk about that later. But in the context of doing that, I searched for Dennis Anyone on Apple Podcasts and the episodes come up out of order. They're random order. And there are... The first things that came up were old episodes of the Comedy Couch podcast, which was the first podcast that I did with my friend and former roommate, Tony Tripoli, when we were living together. This started in like 2009. And we would do these podcasts together where we talked about our lives and pop culture. They were just like hangout podcasts. And um, they're still part of this particular podcast feed because I never changed the feed. It's always been the same. So if you go back to the earliest episodes of Dennis Anyone, they're Comedy Couch episodes. So... It was a lot of fun at the time, and um, I I decided as I had one up, I was like, I'm going to listen to this. I haven't listened to one ever, you know, probably since we did them. And so I'm listening to this podcast of me and Tony from like 2010, and it was so surreal. First of all, I wasn't very good at sound. Um, my and <laughs> kind of like unlike now, um, no, I'm not that great. Um, but I would be in one ear And Tony would be in the other Because I guess I couldn't figure out How to record in stereo We had this recorder That I inherited from the show That I had done prior to that Radio with a twist So I had this like digital recorder um, And but they started out like 20 minutes And then it ended up being an hour And anyway So I start listening to this episode Of the, the Comedy Catch podcast And I couldn't believe how engaging it was I was like This is delightful. First of all, I can't believe how honest we were about how open we were. We talked about a lot of stuff. Like, I was um, dealing with anxiety and depression issues and trying different medications and talking about it. Um, Tony was always talking about his dating life. And people, we were quite indiscreet. I think we thought nobody was listening. Um, Because this was pretty early in the podcast thing. and, And I... I, there were a few times I laughed out loud at things we were saying. We would go on these riffs. Like, there was this riff about plastic surgery and Desperate Housewives, which I would never make today because I have a lot more compassion for, uh, particularly actresses of a certain age who are, like, damned if they do or damned if they don't. But we kind of had this running bit, and it made me howl with laughter. And, and And we had, like, back in the day when we were doing this, there were, we had some fans, like, people that would email us and, and I understand why now listening back to it, it was one of those, it was really fun and easy to listen to. Our rapport was good. We we're funny. We we're honest. I was like, I don't know. This could have been, we were sort of ahead of our time. I don't know what my point is, but I was like, I thought I would maybe listen to that and, and cringe it a little bit about the amateurishness of it or the sound or whatever. But instead I was like, oh, this is really engaging to listen to. We had a, we had a great chemistry and anything like that so anyway if you've been listening um since the comedy couch days thank you and um it was just wild to listen to and uh i don't think we thought about monetizing back then but there was something um special about that project and that time so anyway and they're all still there well most of them are we had to take some down because there was a there was an issue, which I might get into in another podcast. Um, anyway, that was wild. It was a trip back in time. I only listened to an episode, but I might listen to more because they're they're pretty fun. Um, and I can remember where I was where I was in my life, and you know, dealing with things. And uh, there was a sense of overwhelm at this particular time, um, and I was worried about the future. And in a way, I'm in a similar place now, but I have a totally different mindset around it all which is interesting it makes me feel good kind of proud so anyway it was a trip all right that's enough for this week thank you so much for listening i want to give a shout out to aj Sousa for mixing the episodes and making it so that i'm not in one ear and the other person is in the other ear like the comedy couch days Um, my theme music is by mark daniels for placement music we'll catch you next time on dennis anyone Bye. bye